We're totally open to it. We think it's necessary. What you need to know about BC's vaccine card as questions swirl about its rollout next week. And a look at how it's going in Quebec, where vaccine passports are already in effect. Plus, he was 44 years old and he leaves behind a 12-year-old and a 6-year-old. After COVID-19 claims the life of an unvaccinated BC father, the warning from his relatives who were initially hesitant about the shots and... It's a a real wake-up call. As the Stanley Park Coyote call continues, there seems to be growing objection and how the animal attacks force the Vancouver Triathlon to change course. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. The incoming vaccine passport or certificate is top of mind for many this long weekend as we anticipate Tuesday's update on how it's supposed to work. Amadagahi has more on what we know so far and how the passport plan is faring in Quebec, less than a week into its implementation there. It is now just one week away. The start of BC's vaccine card program for which anticipation has been growing. We're totally open to it. We think it's necessary. The final details are coming this week. But as of now, the province's list of places requiring proof of vaccination are as follows. Concerts, sporting events, pubs and restaurants, movie theaters, gyms, pools, weddings and conferences to name a few. These are non-essential places that we have otherwise seen ordered to close previously during the pandemic. Now there is one exception to this BC vaccine card and it is at restaurants for takeout orders. So if you're not sitting inside to eat your spicy McNuggets, you won't need to show any proof of vaccination. Look, let's face it. I, I think at this point we need to try to protect people as much as possible. And it seems like a passport type of idea is the best way to go. It's really the only way to go. The province has promised it will be simple. With your phone, date of birth and personal health number, you will be able to pull up and save proof of your vaccination on your phone before the program starts on September 13th. And those without a smartphone can print their cards on paper. But tech experts have a few privacy questions. If it does get scanned by a QR code, what does that data go to? Does it just show that you've been vaccinated? Does that information be uh, erased? Is it being stored temporarily? Then there's the issue of compliance. And unfortunately, I think it's going to be hardest on the business owners. I think there's definitely going to be some complication at that intersection point where people are not sure or there's a disagreement. In Quebec, just days into their program, some businesses have either closed indoor dining altogether or are claiming profit losses. But our business since the first day are down 20%. And with the restaurant industry still yet to fully recover, the hope is that won't happen here in BC, where almost 85% of people over 12 have at least one dose, which is what they will need in the first phase of the vaccine card program. Amaragahi, Global News. A COVID-19 outbreak has been declared at the Louis Breyer Home and Hospital in Vancouver. Vancouver Coastal Health says three residents and two staff in the north and south wings have tested positive. No new admissions and transfers are being allowed. All group activities and visits, except those deemed essential, have been suspended. The situation is being monitored and enhanced cleaning will be put in place. A lot has been said about Wednesday's protest at hospitals across Canada over the vaccine mandates. Now we're hearing from an initially vaccine-hesitant family and their heartbreaking ordeal over losing a loved one to COVID-19. Julia Foy has their story. 
Bird Me mom and nurse Rika Johnson is getting a tattoo in memory of her husband, Jeremy. We were together for 25 years, so, um, and he passed a week before our wedding anniversary, too. Rika says her family was hesitant about getting the COVID vaccine, but then around Easter, everyone caught the virus. Jeremy got hit the hardest. On his birthday, May 1st, he turned 44. He was, he was awake. He shook his head that he could hear me on FaceTime. On May 2nd is when they put him back into the induced coma. He was transferred to Royal Columbian in June, and that's when Global first met the Johnson family. I'd love to get back to normal, 100%. I want my life back to normal with my husband. Rika's sister was also vaccine hesitant, and then she saw Jeremy. Seeing him hooked up to the machines and on life support, it was like reality slapped me in the face. I'm like, this could have been me, this could have been any one of us. Jeremy would fight complications from the disease for five months, but he died August 13th. I spoke, talked to my kids about it um, because it got to the point where he was kind of suffering. So I said, let's just stop the suffering. Both sisters are now vaccinated and are speaking out against recent anti-vaccine protests outside hospitals. But it, it does frustrate me because there are people in there that are fighting for their lives um, who have COVID. You have people in there who are going through hell and back like my family did. You don't want to end up like Jeremy. He was 44 years old and he leaves behind a 12-year-old and a 6-year-old. And me. A GoFundMe page has been set up to help the family who are struggling to recover from a series of misfortunes. In 2018, a fire destroyed the Johnson's rental home and they had no insurance. This year, they finally moved into the perfect home. But since Jeremy's death, Rika says she can't afford the rent. I just feel like life is kind of unfair because we're good people. We don't do anything malicious to anyone. As the vaccine passport deadline approaches, the sisters have this advice. The next time somebody wants to scream that it's a violation of your personal rights and freedoms, just remember it's you taking away the rights and freedoms for others to actually live. If you don't want to die at whatever age you are, regardless if you're young or old, then you should consider getting the vaccine. Julia Foy, Global News. And Jeremy's sister-in-law has launched a Facebook page called Real People for Real Stories for members of the public to share their COVID-19 survival stories. A vigil will be held in about an hour from now for a missing Langley mother and school teacher. 40-year-old Naomi Onatera was last seen by her husband on August 28th when she left her home and her 18-month-old daughter. Her mother then reported her missing the next day. Langley RCMP's Serious Crimes Unit, dozens of volunteers, including the family of Trina Hunt, are all trying to find her. Trina Hunt was reported missing in January and her remains were found in May. So far, no charges have been laid in Hunt's homicide. In the South Okanagan, RCMP are investigating the suspicious death of a young man who was first discovered this morning with critical injuries at Penticton Secondary School. Yasmin Gandam reports from Penticton. Just before 6 a.m. this morning, Penticton RCMP were called to the area to assist with BC Emergency Health Services after reports of a young man face down unresponsive at the track field right behind me here at Penticton Secondary School. Now we have heard from witnesses in the area who say they haven't heard or seen anything out of the ordinary, but that the park is a known party spot for young kids and that more police is needed to monitor the area. 
Now, neighbors do also mention a picture that was posted to the Penticton Facebook page, and it was since deleted of the young man face down. The post was taken on an iPod, and the person who posted it said they did not have any cell service, and they were asking for somebody to contact 911. Now, the young man was suffering from critical injuries and was immediately transported to hospital where he was pronounced deceased. Police do believe the death is suspicious and the area is blocked off as RCMP continued to investigate the cause of the death. We did contact the BC Coroner Service and they have been notified and are in the early processes of determining the facts and will continue to investigate. Police are asking people to avoid sharing photos or information on social media and that if they do have any details to assist with investigating, they should contact the RCMP. Yasmin Gandam, Global News, Penticton. Victoria police are investigating after an unusual incident early this morning. It all happened around 4 o'clock. Police were called to an area around Dallas Road and Linden Avenue. They were told a man tried to ram a woman and her two friends with his vehicle. He then allegedly got out and tried to assault one of the women with a weapon but missed. No one was injured and the suspect fled. Around 5, he was spotted in Colwood. RCMP searched for him but couldn't find him. Victoria police say they know who they're looking for and don't believe there's any risk to the public. Saanich police are seeking specific dash cam video as they continue to investigate an assault along a popular trail. One man was seriously injured after police say he was attacked with a weapon along the Galloping Goose Trail on Highway 1 near Cary Road just before 3 a.m. on Friday. Investigators are appealing for dash cam video from 10 to 10.45 on Thursday night on Tillicum Road between Tillicum Mall and Highway 1 and on Burnside Interurban Road between the mall and Cloquitz Middle School. Police are also interested in any video shot between 2 and 4 a.m. on Friday in the Highway 1 crime scene area between Mackenzie Avenue and Saanich Road. A four-vehicle crash on the Trans-Canada Highway has left one person dead and four people with serious injuries. The pileup happened west of Golden this morning just after 8. Police say a red eastbound pickup veered into oncoming traffic and hit a motorhome. They were then hit by another eastbound pickup and a westbound semi. The driver of the red pickup, a 48-year-old man from Saskatchewan, was pronounced dead at the scene. A woman and child from that truck were then taken to hospital. The driver and a child from the motorhome also rushed to hospital with serious injuries. Police don't know what caused the crash, but they have ruled out alcohol and speed. It is day three of the Coyote Call in Stanley Park, and opposition to the province's lethal last resort plan appears to be growing. Some trails off of Stanley Park Drive are closed as park rangers assist teams from the Ministry of Forests. Fencing has been set up to stop people from entering the park between 7 p.m. and 9 a.m. when live trapping will occur. After 45 coyote attacks on people this year, the province says it will humanely euthanize up to 35 of the animals over two weeks. Rocker Brian Adams is weighing in with a call to ban the call, citing what happened when wolves were wiped out of Yellowstone. And a former park board commissioner is also helping to organize a vigil for the lost coyotes on September 14th. It's just been a really sad situation for them. And people want to remember them and also just uh, pay tribute to, to some of the creatures that we failed. 
Um, I think that this was a failure. People were feeding the coyotes. Um, it, it's a human impact that's, uh, you know, tragic. We don't ever want to see any human being injured under any circumstance, and we definitely don't want to see um, coyotes paying the price for uh, human activity and the lack of action. But this is the this is the point in the place that we're at right now. There's something really unusual going on in Vancouver. It's an unprecedented situation with over 40 people now having been bitten by coyotes in the last uh, eight months. Um, it seems that the local authorities have a handle on why this has happened. There's been really extensive food conditioning of those coyotes, and that's well known to lead to conflict in any kind of carnivore. Really, once once they reach that point of food conditioning, it's almost impossible to reverse it. The province says non-lethal removal options were considered, but relocating the animals is not possible because Stanley Park's coyote population is habituated to humans and is highly food conditioned. And competitors preparing for tomorrow's Vancouver Triathlon picked up their registration packages at Second Beach today. The event has had to be changed due to the coyote attacks. There were initial concerns the run portion of the competition, which would normally go through trails in Stanley Park, would have to be cancelled. But organizers have managed to find a new route. And then the run, we've changed it. It's now just all along the seawall. It's going to hopefully lower the risk, keeping volunteers along the upper pathways that will be, I guess, the higher risk area, keeping it safe. Still ahead, Surrey's mayor injured. Doug McCallum says he's recovering after being assaulted and then hit by a vehicle. Plus... I think we're all pretty excited to start a new school with new people. A look inside Surrey's newest high school designed to address overcrowding and why it may not be big enough for the long run. Surrey RCMP have been called in to investigate a run-in involving the city's mayor this weekend. There was some sort of confrontation between those opposed to the transition to a municipal force and Mayor Doug McCallum outside a grocery store on Saturday. The change from the RCMP to the Surrey Police Force was one of the key platforms that the mayor was elected on three years ago. A city spokesperson would not confirm reports that the mayor is claiming his foot was run over. A statement from the mayor only says, I was verbally assaulted and then run over by a vehicle while out grocery shopping yesterday. It is now under police investigation and I am doing okay. An organizer with Keep the RCMP in Surrey tells Global News the mayor tried to intimidate them and have them kicked off of the property for collecting signatures. Ivan Scott says claims the mayor was run over by a vehicle are, quote, absolute nonsense. Tens of thousands of B.C. students are either looking forward to or are nervous about the start of the new school year on Tuesday, especially given the pandemic. And for about 1,100 of them, they'll be walking into a brand new school. But as Emily Lazatin reports, the opening of Grandview Heights Secondary speaks to the longstanding issue of overcrowding in the Surrey School District. This is South Surrey's newest high school, Grandview Heights Secondary. And on Tuesday... Its doors will officially open. I think we're all pretty excited to start a new school with new people. Exciting. Unbelievable. Um, I think it's uh, well overdue. 
Uh, our Grandview Heights community has waited many, many years. A sneak peek inside, classrooms will look and feel much different. There's uh, desks that are up, there's some round, there's some low, you can write on things. Um, and so the overall environment is very different than it used to be. These three grade 11 students, some of the first to walk the hallways. So excited. Oh my yeah. gosh. Like so many opportunities to like just be the oldest for two years, but also set a really good example. The latest addition to Surrey's school district desperately needed in a city where new school builds can't keep up with housing developments and the surge of families moving south of the Fraser. Our numbers are growing because we're in an ever-growing community. Uh, we're up about 200 plus students um, over projection already, but there's lots of space where, you know, the building's built for 1,500 students. Currently, there are nearly 75,000 students in the district. That number only expected to grow. Advocates and parents have complained for years about overcrowding and portables. Portables everywhere, all in the back, and now moving over as my kids enter into grade 11. Super, super excited. If only schools could be fast-tracked just as quick as condos. The principal and I had a conversation. He said, I will be starting the school with 800 students. I said, there's no way. There, you're going to be up to 12 or 1,300 kids. But for Renita, Rhea, and Isadora, Tuesday can't come soon enough. Even with COVID-19 numbers on the rise and the uncertainty of the Delta variant, they feel safe heading back to full in-class learning. Definitely procrastinated a lot when we were like in online learning and also like half and half and all that. But I feel like I'll be way more fo focused in, in class. Now that we're able to just be in class and like actually relax and take time for our learning, I think is really important. For now, they won't have to deal with overcrowding or portables. And moving schools? Well, it was an easy decision. The school? The school. Easy. 100%. Definitely. <laughs> Emily Lazatin, Global News. Metro Vancouver is cleaning up a smelly problem in Pitt Meadows this weekend. The city of Pitt Meadows says there was a sanitary sewer overflow into the Catesy Slough, otherwise known as sewage. Residents describe a foul odor and dozens of dead fish were spotted in the water. The city says the spill came from a pipe running from a Metro Vancouver sewage station in Maple Ridge near the Golden Ears Bridge. Environmental Management BC is now monitoring the cleanup. And after the break, marching for the Michaels. It's great to see the support from so many people from so many walks of life. How families and supporters of the men are marking 1,000 days in detention with events across the country. Plus, the gun control debate reignites with contrasting plans presented by party leaders. The latest from the federal election campaign trail is also ahead. Favorable weather conditions are aiding in B.C.'s firefight in the Okanagan. The B.C. Wildfire Service says minimal fire behavior is expected on the Hedges Butte fire burning 12 kilometres southwest of Penticton. 65 homes remain on evacuation alert. Hand and machine guards are being built while helicopters continue to bucket the fire. The Skaha Creek wildfire, discovered six kilometers southwest of Penticton, is now being held. It grew to 236 hectares. Smoke continues to be visible, but the fire is holding behind the guards. The Mount Law fire burning near West Kelowna is also being held. It consumed 76 hectares, but is not expected to grow beyond its current boundaries. 
1,000 excruciating days and counting. That painful benchmark is how long Michael Spaver and Michael Kovrig have been stuck in a Chinese prison. The campaign to bring the men back home to Canada has gone nowhere. And as Mike Armstrong explains, loved ones are still holding out hope that one day they'll be reunited. It was a milestone marked by a march for a reason. One of the things Michael Kovrig's family knows about his detention is how he copes. They say the former Canadian diplomat marches every day in his small cell, 7,000 steps. That was the number supporters walked through the streets of Ottawa. I hope that with every step that we take, we bring them one step closer to freedom. Thank you. The two Michaels were detained in December of 2018, charged with espionage. Kovrig and Michael Spavor, a Canadian businessman who'd been working in China. For their families, 1,000 days into the nightmare, there was some energy from the march. It's great to see the support from so many people from so many walks of life coming to just be here with us. The two Michaels are being held in what some have called hostage diplomacy. Their detention came just days after the arrest of a Huawei executive in Vancouver on an extradition request by the U.S. government. The American Justice Department wants Meng Wanzhou to face conspiracy, bank fraud and wire fraud charges in the U.S. Her next court date in the process is October 21st. There's no question the Chinese uh, acted as a result of that. Foreign Affairs Minister Mark Garneau took time off the campaign trail to show his support and frustration. The detention of the two Michaels came, he says, on trumped-up charges in a tit-for-tat move for the lawful detention of Hmong. We respected our treaty obligations on extradition with the United States and, uh, and detained her, and she is being allowed full due process uh, in law. If they can pick these two up, they could pick anybody up. Also in the crowd at the march, former diplomats Gail Tyerman and Michael Dawson. Even at the height of the Cold War with the Soviets, they say international diplomacy had unwritten rules of engagement. We never had the Soviets taking an ex-diplomat into captivity as a sort of bargaining chip. The message on this day was that the Michaels aren't marching alone. They have support, if not their freedom. Kovrig's trial wrapped in March. He's still waiting for a verdict. Spaver was sentenced earlier this month to 11 years in prison. But the most important decision in their cases may be the decision in Mung's extradition case, still not expected for months. Mike Armstrong, Global News, Ottawa. On the Decision Canada campaign trail today, the Liberal and Conservative leaders presented two very different plans to tackle gun violence and rising gang activity. But the rivals spent just as much time attacking each other. Raquel Fletcher has more. These guns have no place in our communities and have no place anywhere in Canada. Liberal leader Justin Trudeau says if he is elected prime minister, owners of 1,500 reclassified assault-style firearms will have the choice between a mandatory government buyback or rendering the guns permanently inoperable. He's also promising $1 billion to help provinces and territories ban handguns. Unlike his rival, Conservative leader Aaron O'Toole, who Trudeau says has made secret deals with Canada's gun lobby. Community safety is not up for negotiation with the gun lobby. And you certainly don't hand them the pen to write your platform. 
Justin Trudeau has been importing American-style politics throughout this election campaign. O'Toole says violent gangs have been importing illegal guns from the U.S. He promises a conservative government will hire 200 more police officers to tackle this issue, as well as provide $100 million over five years to increase training on cybersecurity and fight sexual exploitation. But O'Toole also made a surprise climb down. For days, he has been under fire over his party's platform on firearms. It says the Conservatives would repeal the Liberal ban on 1,500 types of assault rifles. But Sunday, O'Toole said that order will stay in place if he is elected. Mr. Trudeau claims today that you have a secret deal with the gun lobby. Do you? We're maintaining the status quo that's in place right now. That's not the question, sir. What we're trying to do is to make sure that we have a process to take the politics out of this. He says a Conservative government will conduct a transparent and independent review of the firearms classification process before taking any action. Meanwhile, the NDP promises to provide funding to help communities deter young people from joining gangs. Raquel Fletcher, Global News, Quebec City. Coming up next, another Canadian win at the U.S. Open. Plus. Looking back maybe 40 years from now, I can tell my kids I was one of the first team. I was the first captain of the team. So it's pretty exciting. A pinnacle for university hockey. The B.C. team joining Canada West and what it means for players today and in the future. You're watching Global News Hour at 6. Well, the Peony is getting set to wind down for the season. A look at what organizers are saying about this year's modified events in just a moment. But first, the weather did impact the Peony last night. Meteorologist Yvonne Shell is joining us now for more on what tonight is looking like. Quite a bit of cloud cover behind you. Yeah, cloud cover, but it should remain dry, which is good news. We may actually see some fog developing and a few isolated showers for Monday. I'll have more on your long weekend forecast and how things wrap up, but it is going to brighten up, and I'll have that coming up in just a moment. Here's a shot overlooking English Bay at this hour. Temperature are currently sitting at 19. We've got a northwesterly wind. It's light out there at 9 kilometers per hour. Here's the cloud cover. We can see that on the satellite and radar. We've got a few isolated showers potentially towards the interior and then the next weather maker that is going to take game on the north coast will push in late day for tomorrow. Now overnight tonight a heads up will be down to 13 degrees. We've got fall. We'll see that in towards the morning hours. We've got a 30% chance for showers just tomorrow morning and then it'll ease off. A nice clearing is on the way to round off our week long weekend. For tomorrow, we've got some sunshine in the mix. Temperatures 20 away from the water will be up to 23 in the Humidex. Anywhere between 25 tomorrow and it's areas inland that'll feel like 27 degrees. So it is going to warm up for the day tomorrow and then we'll see a few clouds in the mix and then an overnight low down to 12 degrees. The main event and weather maker is along the northern half of the province and the heaviest rainfall will move in towards the evening hours. Most areas for the southern interior and the southeastern corners of the province. Another hot and sunny day in storm. We are still looking at local smoke across the region. Smoky Skies Bulletin from the Okanagan Valley, Columbia and Kootenai Elk Valley, all included within that. Smoke impacting these areas, especially near the fires, over the next 24 and 48 hours. So if you do have any respiratory issues, try and limit the amount of time spent outdoors if possible. It's the northern half of the province. We'll see on and off showers, the heaviest rainfall moving in towards the evening hours. It's a partly cloudy sky for both the northeastern corners and the central interior with temperatures into 
the low 20s. It's warming up for the southern half with that smoke across the region. Kamloops seeing highs up to 26. Castle Gardamore up to 27 degrees. Along the south coast, so we've got morning fog patches. It'll be a bit unsettled for the morning hours. Cloud cover and a few isolated showers. A clearing is on the way and it'll be much needed for tomorrow. It warms up with the Humidex areas inland, 27 degrees. Back to school forecast so far on Tuesday, a range between 22 away from the water, 25 degrees. We've got sunshine into early next week. Nithu? Great. Thanks so much, Yvonne. Well, if you haven't had your fill of corn dogs and mini donuts yet, time is getting short. PNE organizers say they've been feeling the love from British Columbians this season. The PNE wraps up tomorrow evening after a 17-day in-person fair. No attendance records were set this year, but that's never been the point. Breaking even this year after keeping the midway closed last year because of COVID-19 is considered a win. Organizers say the best is yet to come. The Sunday and Monday of the Labor Day weekend are traditionally some of the busiest days at the fair, and work has already begun planning the 2022 edition. We've been down many times, but we've never been out, and I think this year proves it. But all indications are we'll be back to a full fair that so many British Columbians know by 2022. And of course, another tradition is back, the PNE Prize Home. The big draw will take place Monday, September 13th, live during the news hour. And look who's joining us now to preview sports, somebody who knows what it's like to win something live on the air. <laughs> I was going to say more like Yvonne really misses the PNE. She yeah. loves Loves oh, the smell yes. of the barbecue, does <laughs> yes. the weather down there. It's the but donuts. It's oh, the mini donuts. donuts. Yeah, that smell all day long. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Good locale fare. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> On a diet there. Yeah. Uh, well, what a day in sports so far. A big day for Canadians in the United States. Something about that U.S. Open. Of course, Bianca Andreescu won it a couple years ago. We got a new female tennis star. Layla Annie Fernandez turns 19 tomorrow and she is turning New York on its ear. I have highlights of another huge upset win for her and our Canadian men's soccer team on the pitch right now in Nashville against the U.S. for a, a huge World Cup qualifiers. So that's all coming up. All right, big news ahead in sports. Thanks for that, Barry. Also ahead, spread rapidly and believed easily. At this point, the science is sound. It makes sense. Doctors debunk some of the top misconceptions about COVID-19 spread by attendees of a recent protest in Vancouver. Attendees of last Wednesday's so-called health freedom rallies against COVID-19 vaccines and mandates spread a lot of misinformation. Well, tonight we took some of their top claims to BC health experts for a reality check. Here's Kristen Robinson. The real doctors and nurses are being silenced. Those real doctors now rebutting some of the conspiracy theories and non-scientific claims on display outside VGH. People are unvaccinated. It's a choice. The science hasn't been proven yet. It is one of the most effective vaccines that have ever been made. 90% effective against the original strain, at least 80% effective against the highly mutated strains such as Delta. Why is no reporter asking what are the death rates or the, the illness rates, you know, adverse effects 
of this vaccine. There have been almost 53 million total doses of vaccines administered in Canada. There have been 14,000 total adverse events following. So that's 0.027%. On the BC vaccine card. If they're banning you from going to gyms, you know, if they're banning you from being able to buy food and, you know, eat out, and you know, that's not good for your health. In the context of a pandemic, if you if you aren't protected yourself, that means you're putting everyone around you at risk. And that means that these businesses can't operate safely. In terms of all essential activities, those that will preserve your health and well-being, you will be allowed to engage in all of these necessary activities going forward, whether you're vaccinated or not. I feel like it's a breach of human rights and that we should have a choice of whether we want to get the jab or not. No one will ever be forced against their will to receive a vaccination. But the vaccinated person has human rights also. This is the situation where your choice on your body has impact on others because if you're not vaccinated, you can get people around you very sick very quickly. And the numbers don't lie. On August 18th, 53 COVID patients were in intensive care in BC. 49 or 92% of them had zero doses of vaccine. On August 27th, 84 patients were in ICUs, 78 or 93 percent unvaccinated with no doses, showing COVID's fourth wave is a pandemic of the unvaccinated. Kristen Robinson, Global News. Coming up, staying on track. After that one year of rehab, the only thing I want is was to come back here. The BC athlete who didn't veer off course even after a life-altering accident and how it led to the creation of a new Canadian platform to help others like him get noticed. Don't miss Petapalooza, an event for dogs and their people. Head to Yelltown with your pup to enjoy the Day of the Dog event. Expect a 120-foot puppy pool party, treats, races, and more. Petapaloozawest.com for details. Join the Alzheimer's Society for the 10th annual Climb for Alzheimer's that will take place across BC. Funds raise support crucial programs and services for people affected by dementia. Visit climbforalzheimers.ca for details. For RBC, I'm Michael Newman. If you want to know, it's on the house. If you want to show, it's on the house. If you want to go, it's on the Global BC Community Hub. Navigate your now. All right, Barry's here for a full look at sports and a stellar run for a Canadian teenager at the U.S. Open, Barry. Yeah, it's a bit of a familiar tale that we <laughs> like to tell every uh, fall. Thanks, Neithu. Two years ago, a teenager at the time, Bianca Andreescu, lit up New York on her way to winning the U.S. Open. Two years later, it's another Canadian teenager who's at a huge coming-out party on the sport's biggest stage. Montreal's Leila Annie Fernandez, who turns 19 tomorrow, backed up her massive upset of Naomi Osaka the other day to knock off 2016 U.S. Open champ Angelique Kerber today in three thrilling sets and she's now into her first Grand Slam quarterfinal. Layla Annie turning into the darling of this U.S. Open for the rabid tennis fans of New York. But, uh, Kerber reeled off the last four games of the first set including this winner to take it Six games to four, and it did not look good for Fernandez in the second set, trailing 4-2, but she's got a lot of fight and grit to go along with her skills. Fantastic winner down the line, breaks Kerber at love, and ties it for all. Second set went to a tiebreaker. Fernandez keeps coming, hits the winner behind Kerber right here. Has a great tennis IQ, jumped out 5-1. 
in the tiebreak. Kerber closed it to 5-4, but then this. Layla steps into the forehand return. Clean winner takes the tiebreak, and we need a deciding set. Third set, Layla gets a break to go up 4-2, then she puts the pedal down. Another huge forehand winner, and she has a 5 Games to two leads. So many great points in this match. This just shows off the fight in the Canadian team. Had no right to be in this point, but would not be denied. Just kept getting the ball back. Kerber hits it long, and it's a match point for Fernandez, who really had the crowd in the palm of her hand on match point, pounding the grand, uh, ground strokes. Kerber into the net, and that is it. Layla Annie Fernandez knocks off her second straight former U.S. Open champ, now into the top 50 in the WTA live rankings. She's off to the quarterfinals Tuesday, where she will meet the number five seed, Alina Svitolina of Ukraine. Meanwhile, another Montrealer, Felix Auger-Aliassime, looking to join Layla in the quarterfinals, taking on American Francis Tiafo, two big hitters. Uh, Tiafo fought off eight break points in the first set. Big serve and forehand winner takes the first set 6-4. Second set, Felix with another chance to break. This time he converts, rips the inside out forehand winner and goes up 4-2 and then he will finish the job it's a great point as they have a duel at the net. Felix with the lob. Tifo, uh, Tiafo rather retrieves it, but an easy put away for Felix. Takes the set 6-2, and they're tied 5-all in the third. So it looks like another late night at Arthur Ashe Stadium. World Cup qualifying from Nashville, Canada and the USA. Both teams coming off draws in their opening matches on Thursday night. Canada gets the best uh, chance early on. Alfonso Davies using that speed, cuts it back to Kyle Laren, but Laren cannot convert. Need to have those. It remains scoreless. Now the Americans now on the attack and the cross off the head of Canadian defender, or actually it's a play by Christian Pulisic falls to the ground, goes off the post, and then the Americans will get on the board in the second half as it's Brendan Aronson who converts the perfect feed to make it one nothing. but Canada answers right back seven minutes later. Check out the speed of Davies. Burns around the corner, and this time Kyle Laren's not going to miss that one. On a platter from Davies, it's 1-1, and that's where they stand now in the second half in Nashville. All right, some football now. Undefeated Saskatchewan hosting Winnipeg in their traditional Labor Day weekend battle. Defensive struggle into the fourth until the Blue Bombers seal it on the Zach Caleros touchdown pass to Nick Dembski. Winnipeg hands Saskatchewan its first loss of the season 23-8 the final. So the Bombers move to first at 4-1. The Riders are 3-1. Victoria's Nick Pavetta has tested positive for COVID-19, making him the 11th Red Sox player to test positive over the past 10 days. That means the Red Sox, who are clinging to the last wildcard spot, have had to call up a number of minor leaguers to fill the void in their roster. The Jays looking to close the gap on the Red Sox in the wildcard. Five back when the day started. Robbie Ray in the Cy Young conversation. Got some defensive help. Randall Gritchuk doing his best Kevin Pillar impression with the Superman dive there. What a catch. And uh, that set the tone for the Jays. Their offense has finally woken up after about a three-week uh, slumber. Alejandro Kirk will crack a three-run homer to break this game open. 7-0 Jays. They scored 29 runs in this three-game series. And Robbie Ray just dominant again. Ten strikeouts, just 
one hit allowed in six and two-thirds. Jays win eight-nothing, sweep the A's, and they're now four back of the Red Sox, who lost to Cleveland. Final round of the Tour Championship from Atlanta. FedEx Cup champion will be crowned today. It was a two-man race all week. Patrick Cantley and John Rahm. Rahm two back when the day began. But look at this shot on the fifth. Hits it to about a foot. Tap that one in for birdie. Now within one. And it stayed that way until the 18th. Cantley on the par five after smashing a 361-yard drive. This is from 218. And what a clutch shot by Patrick Cantley, who did it last week when he won the BMW championship in that epic battle against DeChambeau. Now, he did miss the eagle putt, but the tap-in for the birdie is enough for a one-shot win. Cantley takes the prize, $15 million. Rom gets $5 million per second. Corey Connors, tied 22nd, won 467000 Trinity Western University has had a pretty decent history of quality volleyball and basketball programs and soccer as well. Now the hockey team is trying to make a name for itself as it officially joins the Canada West Conference this season. More from Jay Janauer. After 18 months of inactivity, Trinity Western men's hockey team is back on the ice. And for the first time in Spartans history, they'll do puck battle in Canada West having joined the ranks of U Sports, Canada's highest ranking for university athletics. Yeah, obviously Canada West, you know, we, we think that it's the best university league in the world, right? Like in terms of just the age and, and the, the pedigree of, of the guys. So um, we're, we know that we got, you know, we're biting off a big piece of, uh, of pie here to, to be able to come in and be competitive. Time winds down on the clock. Make it back-to-back BCIHL championships for the Trinity Western University Spartans. The Spartans might be the new kids on the U Sports block, but they're no strangers to winning. They made their mark on the BC Intercollegiate League and were on pace to three-peat as league champions when COVID hit. But the goal for quite some time now was to step up in competition and go head-to-head -head with the best university players in the country, and that's U Sports, with an instant made in BC rivalry against crosstown rivals UBC and its storied hockey program. Being from Canada, obviously you kind of look at, I've got friends who have played at other big universities, and that's something obviously I wanted to be a part of. Kudos to Barrett for kind of nine years coming and bringing this program now to where it is today with the opportunity for us to play at the highest level in Canada and ultimately North, North America for collegiate hockey. So it means a lot to me. It's an honour. Um, it's been a long time for a lot of people, not just us. It's the whole league and every other league that's playing hockey right now or other sports. So... Like I said, just being able to play right now, it's an honor, it's a blessing for not just us, but everybody else, and I'm sure everybody's just excited to get going. The Spartans have a good mix of graduating seniors and a fresh crop of rookies as they lay the groundwork for what will hopefully become a long, successful run in Canada West hockey. It's a great opportunity like to see university sport grow. It's pretty rare in Canada to see you know teams and schools being willing to expand into sports that, like hockey or football, right? So... Uh, to get this opportunity, it's probably once in a lifetime, you know, experience to, to be part of. And so we're really excited. We're, you know, part of the BCIHL for a long time and we've had some success there. And I just really feel that our program's matured and the school's really invested into, into the program to, to allow us to have this opportunity. Jay Janower, Global Sports. Yeah, all the hockey training camps, minor hockey, junior, all getting going. So it's a fun time of year. Ethan, back to you. Glad to see it back to some semblance of normal. Thanks very much, Barry. And when we come back, a serious accident altered the life of an athlete in B.C., how he's now leading a company to help students wanting to play varsity sports. Stay with us. 
special stories that shape our province, as suggested by our viewers. This is BC with Jay Durant. Real people, real stories. On Global News Hour at 6. Welcome back. Unexpected adversities can be debilitating for many of us, but for a former SFU track athlete, overcoming his personal hurdles would spur him into a whole new direction in life. Here's Jay Durant with tonight's This is BC. Stepping out on the track at SFU brings back a lot of memories for Alex Patty, who first came here 11 years ago as a young student athlete from Quebec. The track where we used to be training in the rain, cloudy, in the morning, right before an exam. But his promising future was almost cut short. A car crash in 2013 left Alex with 14 fractures, including a broken back and broken neck, followed by nine different surgeries. I was extremely lucky. And, and I'm very thankful um, to be alive. Him like being here and like, doing what he's doing right now is almost like I'd say like a miracle, basically. It's like almost on the verge of, being, of impossible. His competitive days were over after the crash, but he stayed with the SFU team, helping to recruit other athletes from Quebec. And that's how Streamline Athletes was born. Our goal is to give every athlete, everyone a chance um, to find a, a place that they could go to school, get an education, and have a family like I had. Alex and former SFU teammate Brett Montrose started the company that gives young athletes exposure to post-secondary schools around North America, connecting them with coaches and helping them find scholarships. Streamline has helped me pick a good school that has both of my interests, both nursing and continuing my throwing career. There's 1,700 universities and colleges in North America, so there's basically a place for every athlete. Like, there is going to be a university that's going to want you. Patty just graduated from SFU this year. The long recovery from the accident changed his timeline. And along the way, he also got a successful business off the ground. His clients could probably draw a little inspiration from the founder if they only knew his story. Not being the same doesn't mean that it can't be great or even greater. It just has to be different. Jay Durant, Global News. Wow. Well, if you know someone who has a great story to tell or something unique to BC that people need to know about, you can email your ideas to thisisbc at globalnews.ca. Wow. Another incredible story. Uh, so one more final check on the weather, Yvonne. A lot of people are probably wondering <laughs> how much rainfall we can expect tonight. Yeah, things are actually going to brighten up. Tomorrow morning, some fog, a few showers, and then we've got some sunshine. A nice clearing sun balls, Barry, for Tuesday, Wednesday. Mm -hmm. Back to school. It's going to be a warm one, 25. Did you say sunballs? Sunballs is a thing okay. Barry and I say. Way for back early days. Of <laughs> early days. Okay. <laughs> I'll send you both sun emojis tonight. Thanks so much for joining us, everybody. Jordan will be here at 11.